Hello, and everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hands-On Safety. We've talked about a variety of things in the past couple of years, and I can't believe that we are we are at two years of doing our show. Episode twenty-two. Yeah, yeah. twenty-two. So we have uh, we've been doing this for two years, and very happy to keep bringing you more. And um, so we've talked about all kind of things in the past, but uh, one area that we haven't really covered is you know. What happens after you get attacked or mugged or, you know, have any kind of incident? What happens after the fact? And we've always talked about what leads up to it, what what happens during and never really covered after. Yes. So today we are going to, we have a guest speaker with us and we are going to talk about this subject. So with us as always is George. Hey everybody, how you doing? And Megan. Hello everybody. And today we have a special guest, Matt Floyd. Hi guys. Thanks yay. for having me. Cousin Matt. Yay. <laughs> cousin Matt. Yeah, cousin Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Megan's finally not the first Canadian only Canadian on the show today. That's right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Canadian representation. All right, let's do it. There you go. <laughs> so, Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking some time out of your very busy schedule. No problem. Um, first off, I guess, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do? Sure. So, uh, like you guys said, my name is Matt. I am a patrol sergeant with the Halton Regional Police in Ontario, Canada, which is just outside of uh, of Toronto. Um, our area is covers about six hundred and fifty thousand people, so we're sort of a medium sized service. And uh, I've been with Halton for thirteen years now. Very nice. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. As patrol sergeant. What are your What are some of your duties? Um, so, um, just general, you know, what what you think policing is is pretty much what I do. We respond to emergency calls, traffic collisions, um, things of that nature. Everything from, you know, getting the lost hikers off of trails to you know robberies to um, domestics, all sorts of things. So, as a sergeant, I oversee a platoon of about twenty two officers. And um, just uh, I still go to calls and still take uh, take reports and things like that. But I more oversee sort of, you know, larger, serious calls and things like that. Do you know, like, I mean, I'm sure it can probably vary. Do you get like a lot of calls a day? Um, yeah. Um, do a lot of so, investigation sort of stuff. Yeah. So I've done I've done uh, detective work in the past. And that's where we really focused on larger investigations. But then uh, I headed back to the road to general patrol. So. Uh, we work 12 hour shifts um, and, you know, any given day we might have, I might go to two or three calls if it's a slow day or we have a very busy day. We'll have, you know, 25 or 30 calls that I'll end up going to. So it's, uh, it's, it really ranges and there's no, there's no specific, you know, it's not like, it's not like Friday nights of the nights, you know, we could have Friday nights <laughs> that are, that are dead and Tuesday mornings where we're run off our, our feet. So wow. it's uh yeah, there's really there's there's zero rhyme or reason as to why we're busy or when we're busy. It's just kind of whatever happens happens. Right. Yeah. Must be kind of cool to be have no set schedule. Like, okay, this is what I got to do today, kind of thing. It's like you're, you're, it's it's unpredictable. Yeah, I've always that's what drew me to to policing. You know, when I was done uh, college. I had done some time in the army and I thought, well, what do I want to do? And I, I knew I didn't want to sit behind a desk and I needed, you know, variety. And so I was looking at either, you know, 
paramedic services or or policing and I sort of or or fire service for that for that matter. But I kind of liked that in policing, I kind of get to do all of it. You know, I'm going to emergencies, I'm going to medical calls, I'm going to fire calls. So then I get to also, you know, help people who are in trouble and put bad guys in jail and do all those fun things. So now did, um, did, did you prepare for that in any way as far as what you took in college or did, um, was that, did that mostly come from, um, being in the military that kind of pushed you in that direction? a A bit of both. Um, you know, I grew up, even in my teen years, I was a lifeguard. So I kind of always liked the, the service side of, you know, helping people. Um, I went to community college for just program called police foundations, which basically like a, you know, a background in law and mm-hmm. uh, fitness and things like that. And then when I went to university, I actually went for geography. So it had nothing to do with anything. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, just, a. Um, my, my fiance was sticking around for a few more years at university and I figured I, I should too. Yeah. Uh, so I, t- I took a degree in geography, but then, uh, you know, it, we, for the people that work on my platoon, we have everything from people who used to be plumbers to pilots to, you know, businessmen and women. It, it, it really is a, a super varied background in, in where officers come from these days. It's not your typical, like, you know, big brute <laughs> it's a very it's a very much uh you know a much more um becoming a, a much more intellectual profession where you know we we, we want to be representative of our community and we need you know people with the varied skill sets to to bring you know a better service to to our community members so that's sort of where i've seen policing going is is a it's a very very uh varied background of of uh of applicant now so it's very yeah. good that's interesting because I always think of it as, um, you know, maybe if someone went to college, they went for a criminal justice degree or um, and, and many, many still do investigations or, you know, something yeah, many, along that many, line. Many still do. But mm-hmm. but uh, I, I would say that now that's that's becoming more of the exception uh, than the rule. Okay. Yeah, huh. at least at least in Ontario anyway. Right. <laughs> that's interesting to know. Yeah, I think yeah. I've you know I've seen as occasionally you see police departments in in your area you know advertise that they're looking for people. It it seems like they're they're looking for more of a variety or broadening their criteria of who they're looking for. Yeah, as, and I think that's important, right? You want to be representative of the community you're serving, and you know it's it's and that comes from you know your 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 background um uh, your education you know lots of sort lots of different things so i think that it's really we're seeing a, a change in that definitely over the last you know at least since i since i became a, a an officer it's definitely been a big change in that so it's, yeah. which is good okay cool well, that's interesting yeah. Yeah, good to know yeah also yeah. gives you a little uh big variety of knowledge and experience which is probably helpful in a lot of situations it's a it's a huge help right because we we deal with such varied types of calls you know throughout the day no two calls are the same even if they're the same two same you know same two people they're two completely different calls so to have that you know varied skill set and varied background is is really a benefit Mm -hmm. yeah very cool do i have a question that uh something that came up recently um was if you call emergency services and i don't know um you know here it's 911 i don't know what it is in canada yep. but, same, um, same here same here okay um so if you call 911 and you can't communicate verbally uh with the operator you mm-hmm. know how do they find you how do they know where to go or what to do or 
how does that work? So different jurisdictions are different. I can I can speak to you know how we operate mm-hmm. in, in Halton, uh, and and which is broadly sort of how you know the province of Ontario operates, and how I, I do think a lot of different states do in in, in the U.S. Uh, basically. If, if you're calling from a landline, like from a house or a business, um, even if it's an unlisted number, all of that information uh, in, in terms of location of, the, of that phone is mm-hmm. embedded into the actual call. So if, when it, even if you hang up, uh, the, uh, the dispatcher is going to be able to see the address where that call has come from. Mm-hmm. and who who that phone is registered to. Uh, for cell phones, it's a little different. Um, normally, um, even if your phone doesn't have data, like you don't have a data plan or anything like that, right. you can still you can still call 911. And um, normally what happens is when a cell phone calls 911, it, it does a G- GPS ping, which basically mm. gives us uh, a GPS location of t- as to where that phone call has originated from and that can you know have sometimes a bit of a radius like it's not necessarily going to be at you know one two three smith street but it might be you know within within 100 feet of or you know 500 feet of one two three smith street or or something like that but there's still normally uh subscriber information that's attached to that phone number so we'll get a name we'll get uh an address where the phone's you know registered to or things of that nature so okay good to know so I'm curious. Uh, I remember I brought this up with you um, a few years ago, Matt, um, mm-hmm. for our listeners' sake. When you respond to a call, how does somebody who is sighted or somebody who's blind or other disabilities mm-hmm. identify you as a police officer that know that you're legit? That's a great question. Uh, and that does come up, you know, with, with people um, who are blind, but also people who are sighted, you know, there can still be some, some questions maybe if, you know, something doesn't seem right here, or I'm not, I'm not too sure that this person is who they say they are. Um, there's, there's a few things that you could, you could do to, to really satisfy yourself that the the person you're speaking with is indeed a police officer. And the easiest way to do that, um, is to call 911. Um, if, if you're approached by someone who's saying that they're an officer and you're unsure, whether they are or they aren't, even if they're in a uniform, um, you call 911 and that the dispatcher will be able to confirm for you that, yeah, indeed, you know, Officer Floyd is working. He's working today and he's in that area because, you know, my, my radio and my car have GPS as well. So they'll know mm-hmm. where I am and what I'm doing. So um, that's probably your best uh, way of confirming who that officer says they are. Um, and you're never, that's never an improper use of 911 um that's you know you need to be able to satisfy yourself that the person who's telling you to do something is who they say they are right so, and no no legitimate officer uh, should have i can't speak for everybody but i would say I, w- I would say i would never have an issue with you wanting to confirm who i am you know to satisfy yourself that uh, and make yourself comfortable with the situation right and there's other ways too um you know like for for you Megan like being blind like if you have someone that you trust that you could do a, a video chat with or something and they, you could hold your phone at the officer and they say, yep, that is a police officer. Or, you know, it, it all depends on your comfort level and, and, you know, what you're looking to satisfy yourself that, that that person is indeed a police officer. Okay, cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. No problem. Matthew, I have a question. How much yes. training do you, um, does your department have with dealing with people who are visually impaired, hearing impaired, uh, people are on the spectrum. Are you guys a lot of training in that or is something 
that you know it's not done. We we get a fair amount. Um, we have, we have a special um, bit of a situation in my region because we have um, EC Drury School for the Deaf, which is the largest deaf school in Canada. So we have a a, a very high uh, population of of deaf people living in our our region. So we interact with them on a daily basis. So we've gotten a lot of training through um, through their like the like the EC Drury School as well as you know like the um, different uh, outreach charities that work with the, the deaf community. So for our service specifically with, with that being an example, you know, we have uh, a fair amount of outreach and training that we do just to ensure that, you know, um, anybody who's contacting the police for any reason is going to be um, well served in getting the information across to us that we need, as well as them being satisfied with the job that we're doing for them. And then when it comes to just, regular um training for things like we call it equity diversity and inclusion so we have regular edi training uh that's a part of our yearly training um that happens you know quarterly or there'll be seminars that'll be pushed out on different uh groups and dealing with you know whether it's um different community groups or different uh, racialized groups or different uh, groups that you know have certain disabilities um that sort of gets pushed out on a quarterly basis so that we can be up to date and up to speed on, on how to help best help uh, different members of our community. And it, yeah. And there's been a big push in, at least in, in Ontario uh, and uh, in Canada over the last few years with, with really, you know, bringing up to speed the service that we provide to, to all members of our, of our communities, you know, and, uh, and making sure that everybody feels um, supported and, um, and well served by you know our our community police officers. So, okay, other than Washington D.C. area, I mean, I've seen a story about uh, some officers that were trained in uh, American Sign Language, and um, so they put them to work on the streets and call them in certain situations. I also heard situations as well, you know, not here in the U.S. Uh, police officers and negative interactions with people who were blind, um, mm-hmm. either not realizing that the person was blind, or uh, one thing I'm, I'm cited myself. Uh, but one mm-hmm. thing I've noticed is that individuals who are blind, particularly those who uh, lost sight um, after, you know, after, after birth, um, sometimes you can't tell if someone's blind because they look at you when you're speaking. <laughs> yeah. And it throws people off sometimes and they don't believe it or there's different levels of blindness that people don't realize. Uh, mm-hmm. They think a person who's blind, they see nothing whatsoever. I've, I've learned in the last couple, a few years that that's not the case. Uh, mm-hmm. So I want to know if you know, that type of education has been you know, passed on to law enforcement and, uh, been reinforced. So. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I know ASL, um, I'm able to do sign or, you know, not, I'm not fluent, but I can definitely, you know, ask some simple questions and get my point across using, using ASL. And that's again, through some of the training that we have based on the special you know circumstances that we find in our region. Um, but again, I think it's just the best sort of advice I could give is if, if you, if you think there's going to be concern with, how an officer may um, perceive your actions or, or something like that, just be honest and say, you know, like, I know it's, it's none of their business, but just so that it, it, it makes the situation a little more easier. Say, hey, officer, excuse me, officer, I'm, you know, I, uh, I mean, sight impaired or, or whatever you want to, however you want to describe it to that officer, just to, so it helps them understand, um, you know, the situation and that you may be coming closer to them 
Uh, so if it's a matter of, you know, you, you have some limited site and you need to be close to things, they're just going to be aware of that and be comfortable with that sort of thing. Do y'all ever have people, um, this came up for me a couple years ago, that uh, someone said that they have actually registered with the police department and um, fire department locally to let them know that, you know, I, I am a blind person. I live at this address so that if anything ever happened at their address, that the uh, hopefully the first responders would know uh, in advance that that was the case, that they were yeah, we with do, somebody in, with a disability. We do have uh, certain registries like, th- like that. Um, just again, to, to give us or uh, paramedics or firefighters, you know, a little more information. Um, in in our, re- in our region, we have a community outreach uh, bureau uh, and community mobilization bureau that really work with members of the community, not so much in a policing capacity they are officers but they're more working on in an outreach and a and in certain um with certain you know groups in the community and so uh, for instance you know families whose um children are on the autism spectrum if they may be their their children are nonverbal or um you know become threatened or feel uncomfortable when there's mm-hmm. people in uniforms whether that's police or paramedics they can pre-register um their their home and, and, you know, have some information that will be embedded into our database so mm-hmm. that if I, if I get dispatched to that call to that, to that house for, for anything, uh, my dispatcher is going to be able to tell me, okay, there's, you know, there's a child here who, you know, responds well to, you know, calm touch and to, you know, low soft voices. And then it just gives us a bit of a, you know, a heads up and in how we can, you know, better calm a situation down rather than, you know, make it worse. Mm-hmm. So I know there a lot across, at least across Canada, there's a lot of programs like that with different police uh, services and police departments where they can, you know, you can, if if you if you feel that there's, it's going to be better for responding firefighters, paramedics, police to to have that information ahead of time, then you can definitely uh, call and have that information put on the system. Okay, good to know. That's yeah, I was I that was new thing. to me when I moved here. Um, I'd never heard of doing that before. Yeah, and it's it's more of a new sort of idea, but it's it's definitely a beneficial one. Um, and normally, I'm not sure how dispatch centers work in other jurisdictions, but for us, if you call 911, you get the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the 911 operating center is at our, our headquarters. Yeah. And then if you need fire or EMS, they'll transfer the call to their respective call centers, but we'll, they'll, our, our dispatchers will still normally listen just to make sure well, why do you need a paramedic? Oh, because I've been stabbed. Well, that might require the police, you know. So, <laughs> maybe, right? yeah, so, yeah. So, maybe both. Maybe okay. both. You know. Yeah. yeah exactly. Maybe. So they, we, maybe everybody. You know, but if it, exactly. Or if it's just a true medical call, then they'll just you know pass it off, and then we go on to the next one. So. Right. Yeah. But, I but we'll, we'll still we still still send that information along if we've got it in our database. So. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that's yeah. how it's set up here as well. Um, I don't don't know about it everywhere, but. Well, I will look that up, Leslie, and see if we can add that to our notes. Uh, there's something interesting, too, because, I mean, uh, something people need to be aware of to be able to register that, because I've heard of situations happening uh, where law enforcement were not aware of the situation of the individual involved and mm-hmm. thought it was something else, like especially someone who's on who's autistic. They, you know, they thought they might have been on drugs or something, because there's some, from what I understand, there are, are similar characteristics of behavior for someone who may be intoxicated or on drugs compared to someone who may be autism on a higher level uh, um, autism mm-hmm. level of the spectrum. So mm-hmm. miscommunication, misunderstanding, but something like that could help out uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, it's, I think, I know 
some people don't get, don't get the training depending on the area. So for you, Matthew, your area has a large uh, population of individuals who are um, hearing impaired. So of course, that's makes so you made that made it. They had to make an adjustment to uh, train and uh, notify and keep people informed of that, mm-hmm. that population. Right. And, mm-hmm. But those who have don't have a, a population that's particularly one or the other. Yeah, uh, it's probably good to have general general training. Understand? I just I just see all I like I watch a lot of police videos of cops acting badly and people <laughs> acting badly towards cops. So it goes yep. both ways. Uh, it does. You know, my thing is you know holding um, uh, authority, to, uh, holding power to authority, or holding responsible for their power. But mm-hmm. not all police officers are doing bad things. Other people out there are doing bad things and putting cops in bad situations. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it, to, in my opinion, community policing, I think, is a key. And, yep. and knowing your community, community, also knowing their officers. So if you have a visually impaired community or individuals in your community that are visually impaired, it's good to be aware of that ahead of time. Uh, but people should understand that police officers are generally there to protect. Yep. I don't, you don't think that any officer should go home shot and neither should any civilian. But no, and I don't come, disagree. Right. A lot of time it comes down just to communication and training. So I'm all yeah. about training. I was in, I was in the army myself. I'm retired military. So from the U.S. Army. And so we did training all the time, every year, you know, around the, cl- around the clock on schedule. Mm-hmm. So I think some, some police stations don't do that mainly because of funding and because timing. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, for some smaller jurisdictional services, I think that that's where you really see is a lack of funding, right? You know, you're looking at, you know, there's just, there's either not federal funding or state, state or provincial funding or municipal funding. Um, or there's just not a time if you have a small service with only a few officers, they need to be on the road all the time. I, I, and I, I personally see that, you know, as a detriment to the officers and a detriment to the community because you're, I'm not sure what the, what the, what the fix is for that. Um, but I know that it's, you know, it, it takes time and it takes money to do these training uh, initiatives, but they're, they're very important. And I, you know, I think that at least for my police service, we've really taken to heart that community policing model. And we have, you know, these mobilization officers who go out into the community and their sole purpose is engagement. Um, and, and you know, not enforcement, just engagement and, and learning about the community, helping the community learn about who we are and what we do and how certain situations, um, you know, will occur if the police arrive uh, for, for certain types of calls. But it's, it's, it's just about education on both sides. And I think that that's, that's so important. And that's what, you know, really breeds trust both ways, you know. Yeah, definitely. Very important. Mm-hmm. The more you know, the better. Exactly. Knowledge is power. Yes, absolutely. Is that G.I. Joe? <laughs> I think that was knowing is half the battle. Knowing is half the battle. Yeah. Which is the same, yeah, same concept. You, you have to know that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, just like, I like hearing, you know, uh, from police officer's perspective, uh, you know, after things have happened, I've seen, you know, in the last couple of years and all that, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And it gets back to normal. And real, real reality is people talking about defunding police. I think they meant to reallocation of funds for certain things like training and stuff like that. I think it was um, yep. people saw it one way. I was like, no, nah, that's not what we need to do. We need to look at what's, what's the most important thing in our areas. So every area is going to be different. Exactly. U.S. Yeah, compared definitely. to Canada will be totally different. Uh, yeah. I looked some, some stats up. You guys have more hours of training than our police officers do before you guys hit the road. Mm-hmm. Most industrialized countries do. That's a detriment to <laughs> to to us here in the United States. 
Um, yeah. But the, I think I always think training is always important that, you know, to be aware of the um, community, vetting properly. And like, you know, main thing is something we never, we have not talked about to this show about dealing with a, a select population that have needs other than, than the rest of the community. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so you, you guys have, you know, do you guys have engagement teams that uh, on a regular basis that you, that you may be aware of that engage with um, those with uh, disabilities or those with, you know, uh, other limitations? So, yeah, like from, from our services perspective, we have those community mobilization officers and they'll go to different community events where the, whether those are uh, religious or cultural events or uh, events that are put on by, you know, like individuals who um, who all have a, you know, certain, like, like, like I said, like the, the, the deaf community or um, mental health outreach uh, with our mental health community, um, you know, we, they will go and, and they sit down and they listen and they engage with them, you know, on a one-to-one basis, but also on a, you know, on a more of a group basis to really help understand, you know, where maybe communication limitations would lie or whether where perceptions of the police would lie. And then we help to sort of break down any barriers that, that do remain to help um, really facilitate the best, you know, uh, help that we can in sort of emergency situations. Cause you know, oftentimes, you know, when we show up, it's split seconds, you know, can make the difference between life and death. So, you know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times in emergency calls, you know, we don't have the time to slow down and stop and ask somebody, you know, this or that or the other. Um, but having, you know, a core knowledge base of information ahead of time serves us that much better in terms of, you know, making those critical decisions uh, to, to help, you know, preserve life. So, yeah. So when something does happen and someone calls 911, um, what, you know, I know 911 determines what kind of services that person might need, whether it's police or fire or medical, what kind of information is important for y'all to know, um, from the um, person, of course, location, I'm sure, but, um, what loca- other location, kind of y'all- yeah. Y'all need to location, know. location, location. Always. You know, that, <laughs> yes. That's the most that that that's important. Um, because if we don't if we don't know where you are, we we can't help. And especially mm-hmm. with those you know cellular telephones, if it's a if it's a larger radius, like we'll, we'll see you know sometimes two and three kilometer or mile radiuses, like that's mm. not very helpful. That no, that's not. could be could be a hundred thousand people in that space, right? right. So um, so knowing uh, as best as you can describe where you are. And that doesn't have to be an address, you know, you can describe based on, well, I know I'm near, you know, the water tower that's close by to the highway, you know, and right. like that, that helps us narrow that down. Uh, but then being as, uh, as detailed as you can be in about, in about what's occurred, just to be- better uh, equip the responding either officers or paramedics um, to know, well, you know, how quickly do I have to drive here? Like, am I, is this, is this a, a true emergency situation where I need to go lights and sirens and get there as quickly as possible? Mm-hmm. Um, because, because that comes with risk too, right? There's risk to the community when, sure. you know, you have ambulances and fire trucks and police, uh, police cars driving well above the speed limit. So that's a calculated risk that we need to, to take based on the information that's provided. So location, the nature of the incident, um, your contact information, especially if you have an un, un or a blocked phone number, mm-hmm. um, in case the number drops, mm-hmm. um, make make sure that you're giving your phone number so that if for whatever reason the call gets dropped, the EMS can or the nine one one center can call you back. 
but th- you know, in the in those critical first moments, it's you know where you are, what's going on, who you are, and and your phone number, so that if uh, if we need to contact you or one of the officers who's on on the way needs to contact you directly, as opposed to going through dispatch, that the officer can do that as well. Um, right. But those those key pieces, I think, in those first few minutes, are what's the most important. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what kind of things? Um, what is important after you arrive? So depending on like if depending on the situation that that's brought the police to you um, is going to determine sort of the types of questions that we might ask. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know the who, what, where, when, why kind of things come into play. We're going to be you know asking you know um, if you let's just let's just say there was an assault. You know, mm-hmm. do you do you know the suspect? Have you ever seen them before? Because even if you don't necessarily know them, you might have seen them several times in, in the neighborhood or or you know um, descriptions um, of not just uh, especially if you know if you're visually impaired like you're obviously not going to necessarily be able to describe what they looked like but you could say well you know i grabbed the jacket and it was very you know it felt very like slippy you know like it was mm-hmm. like it felt like, like a, nylon it felt like, or, felt like yeah. it felt like nylon and you know the pants felt like like denim you know those those are going to be very helpful descriptors as well right not mm-hmm. just um, not just what someone looked like. Smells can be very, very helpful. You know, if the, the person, you know, reeked like cigarettes or like like alcohol, like you know, those are those are helpful things that are descriptors for us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like a lot of times, I in my time as an investigator, uh, I, I've seen um, that visual descriptions can be very off. Um, (laughs) people don't, you know, they, they, it was, they're, they're dead set that it was a blue jacket when it was a black jacket Mm -hmm. or, you know, something to that. But I I have found the, the sense that is the most correct has always been sense of smell. So, um, that's always a question that sometimes people don't think to ask, but I will always ask, well, do you remember what what somebody smelled like? Cause you, you, you know, just as uh, you know, you smell something, you're always going to, you know, I know that that's apple pie and, and, you know, I can describe that it's got cinnamon and nutmeg in it, you know, (laughs) that's, that's our most, you know, for, for me anyway, the most visceral sense that I have, I I can smell things from a mile away. So uh, that's, that's a really good, uh, thing to especially if you're sight impaired or something to uh, like that that's going to be a big help you know if we saw, find somebody who's got like a nylon feeling jacket and they stink like cigarettes and they're wearing <laughs> jeans and that's what you've described that you felt and you smelled right. you know then that's gonna that's gonna help us in determining well this might be somebody we want to talk to right so um but yeah just being as as detailed as you can be in in articulating what's transpired that led up to you calling the police mm-hmm. um you know uh, often i'm gonna depending on the circumstances i'm gonna say okay well you know set out your whole day for me like explain to me what happened when when you know that led to whatever incident occurred um and just being as descriptive as possible because again should we be trying to identify a suspect or you know get a statement to assist in the laying of charges the more descriptive and the more clear and concise of a statement that we can get the better Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I really didn't think a whole lot about smell, but that's. I didn't really think that would help either. It, it it's 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 funny, and because you would you wouldn't right, and I never did until I had a couple cases where I'm like, well, that that became a critical piece of of you know building my case for who the suspect ended up 
being, right? So right. Uh, it's it's just it's just one of those senses, right? It's 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 another piece in the puzzle that that can uh, that can assist. You know, it's not necessarily part of every investigation, but for, for from my perspective, it's been that's been a very helpful thing uh, to articulate. Um, that just again helps to build that that uh, that case, right? And I've you know certainly heard of studies that that say that you know, um, smell is one of the best triggers for memory. Um, oh, big time. You're going to have 100%. more, more of your memory is going to be tied to smells than, than, than to, yeah, to, yeah. to sights or touch or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So these smell, sure. like, smell like weed, whiskey, and bad life decisions. Just smelled like regret. I don't know what <laughs> like regret. Like, like regret. Like regret. You know. Smelled like guilt. <laughs> guilt. Like, bad decision. Bad advice. Exactly. You know. There you exactly. go. Yeah. Exactly. Those bad taxes regret. You know. Uh, <laughs> oh my. But it's truth. Uh, no, I like. That. I mean, I'm listening to that. Like that's. I never. I never thought of that. I never, maybe I guess I have thought of that, but never thought of it as something being used uh, by this person who's visually impaired. That might be a great way because uh, you makes you feel feeling the texture of something. I think yeah. it, it jogs the memory of certain other things. Um, you know, so that's, that's that's good to hear. So yeah, exactly. And uh, again, we're gonna draw on you know. The information that that you you can provide to us, right? And if if someone is is hearing impaired or sight impaired, obviously, well, I can't. You're not going to be able to provide me with what it sounded like or what it looked like. Right. You can you can provide with a ton of other information that's going to be very very helpful in in either finding you know uh, everything from finding the suspect to finding a missing person to fi- like whatever to whatever end we need to take our investigation. Right. Um, you know, the more the more. Like going back to knowledge is power. The more I know, the better served I am in in helping. Right. Yeah. So in that case, um, like if somebody were to get an audio recording and wasn't able to quite get video, would that would that help you guys at all? Because you'd still have audio, probably. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we we rely on 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 audio recordings all the time. You know, for for all sorts of different investigations, whether it's um an, a recording of an interaction that you had or uh you know a recording of of a, of something else like there, it's it's we you know we do rely a lot on you know surveillance cameras and video and things like that nature but you know we often we i often i probably take you know audio statements over video statements now sort of 10 to 1 because i can do those you know i don't have to bring somebody to the station to do a video statement i can speak with them at the scene get all the important information you know get that captured in an audio statement which is i feel is better than a written statement because that's your words that's your voice right you know yeah and it's it, that's that's the best source of information you know in, in in policing we always talk about you know what's the best evidence and the best evidence is the direct you know, your direct statement. It's not me telling a judge what you said. It's you saying what you said because right. it's you, you know, so. No, no chance know. of misinterpretation or, or, um, you know, I mean, it's just really easy. To, yeah. To change yeah. When, words. exactly. When you said several and I put down a few, right. You know, that's, that seems, that seems like a minuscule, you know, change of phrase, but that could end up actually being very important. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so yeah, it's always, we do a, a lot of uh, audio tape statements um, on scene just to, to capture that information uh, right, right away. Yeah. 
So I have a situational question for you, Matt. Uh oh. What? <laughs> At the party last night. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe the night before. Smell like regret. So a few years ago, I was walking on on um, a train platform, and I found myself in a situation where I was really close to a physical. Uh, fight and I was startled because I didn't really know it was happening until I was right up on it and I kind of mm-hmm. kind of panicked and backed away super quick so I'm like oh no like I can't I don't want to get involved I don't want my dog to get hurt um, so I called the police um, but I wasn't really able to go too far um, yeah. in that case what should somebody do in that kind of situation should somebody like just continue backing away like stay out of this like yeah, obviously we're I'm, I'm always going to tell people if you if you see a violent situation occurring like like stay away yeah stay away you know what like um the the worst thing that would would happen is you, you try and intercede or you try and you know stop something and then like you said all of a sudden you're injured right um i think the most important thing is if if you if you feel that you know there's an, an assault happening or a fight happening is definitely, you know, call 911, let us know what's going on, let us know where it's happening. And then we can attend, you know, as quickly as possible and help, you know, calm the situation down and determine what happened. But I would, I, I would caution sort of anybody for getting involved, um, you know, unless it's absolute dire circumstances, you know, like even, even myself, I, I've, I've witnessed things occur while I'm off duty. Well, I don't, I could jump right in, but I don't have any of my tools that I normally carry, you know, so if all of a sudden I get in a situation where they've turned on me now and my life's being threatened, well, I don't have my, you know, my firearm, my vest, my taser, my pepper spray, my baton. I have, I have none of those tools to keep myself safe. Um, so, you know, I learned a long time ago um, that, you know, there's certain situations yet yeah, where I will get involved if I have to, if it's, if it's life or death or somebody's, you know, imminent safety's being threatened, I, I will still get involved uh, off, in an off duty capacity. But, you know, for your general, you know, citizens, the best thing to do is, is call 911 right away, give as much information as you can so that we can get uh, officers on scene as quickly as possible um, to help, you know, bring that situation to a, a safe end, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So George, I know, you know, you and I, um, when we're we're teaching self-defense in the seed program, um, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in there has been to focus on, you know, when, when, if somebody grabs you touching them back and, and getting information, you know, that gives you information about, you know, maybe whether or not it's a man or a woman, or if they have, you know, any jewelry or um, missing fingers or any kind of information you can get uh, from physical touch. But, um, is this something that you carry over in your your taekwondo and your your women's self defense classes in getting information if there's an incident? You know, I honestly say I I haven't. And per se, I mean, my thing is now when, and I get me thinking. So I'm gonna start telling the rest of the women's self defense classes. You know, since this, I tell them to try to remember as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But but you're right. Texture the hands, where the rough hands, you know, soft hands. What I usually tell them for women's self-defense program is if you're being attacked, uh, you have to give, um, you know, complete compliance. I mean, uh, succumbing so to the actual sexual assault rape situation. Yeah, I tell them to get DNA, scratch, mm-hmm. bite, whatever. Scratch, bite, there you go, yeah. DNA, do not wash, you know, 
Um, call the police. Call someone you, it's, it's, you know, that you can count on. That you go through the process you go through your rape kit um, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So I tell them to collect information physically by biting, by scratching, by pulling, um, mm-hmm. because that's what will probably solve the case of who actually committed it compared to trying to remember faces, you know, right. smells, like, I didn't know so many things going on, but that right there doesn't, you don't have to, you don't have to speak for yourself. Your actions spoke for you. Right. You know, it's on that, but I guess something that can incorporate, um, you know, I do tell them, you know, to react to the feeling, you know, one student, he, um, told me, uh, last couple two days in a row or within a week, he's had like kids kind of like pick on him and put hands on him. They didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they saw how to respond to the reaction. Um, but other than that, no, but it's something I'm going to start looking more into about talking about those senses of using your senses of smell, mm-hmm. um, sense of taste. I mean, it's bad as it sounds, but you know, uh, whatever can jog your memory and all that stuff, but the you know, textile sensation, you know, identifying stuff for the aftermath. I do talk about what to do, you know, in, in regards to techniques. If someone, if someone comes up to you, how to de-escalate as much as possible. Mm-hmm. If you can't de-escalate your physical conflict, take them to the ground and back away. So you don't, so you're not the aggressor at the point, but I never really talk about what do you do for the reporting aspect? How do you collect, collect information? while being calmed in the whole process. So somebody made me think some things to add to my training. Well, um, that is all the questions I have. Um, Megan, you have any more other questions or comments? Don't think so. I, I think this has been super informative. So yeah, I've really learned a lot from this. Thank you, Matt. No, no problem, guys. It's, I'm, it's been a great opportunity. Um, and I appreciate, you know, you got Megan reaching out to me, you know, because again, no matter what the situation is, the more that, you know, that I can learn as, as, as an officer, you know, I'm going to take parts of what we talked about today and I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk to my platoon, you know, about, about ways that, that, that I can, you know, better our approach in terms of dealing with, with, with certain things. So it's, you know, these, these types of meetings are fantastic, you know, in both directions, because right. I think it's, it's going to give me, you know, some, some different tools for my toolkit in, in terms of, uh, of going back to, um, you know, to my, my side of the house basically right. for lack of a better term so <laughs> um you know so it's uh it's it's been it's been great in that sense like maybe just a question for you megan like i know because we had talked about you know the situation that sort of led to me coming to talk to you guys today like what as for an officer who who's dealing with you in, in general terms like how what better or what best puts you at ease for the, those sorts of situations like in terms of, of, of being, you know, confident in who you're speaking with and, uh, and, and, you know, okay with the sort of the situation that's unfolding. In my case, I would probably call 911 and, well, I would maybe ask for your badge number and then verify, vi- verify it with 911 and that would probably make me feel better. Um, yeah. What problems? My- sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, for, Leslie and George and the audience take what prompted my question about this a couple of years ago was we had a major storm, a uh, major snowstorm here, and um, I was a little disoriented and I ended up I was actually out in the street, and a gentleman stopped by and he claimed that he was a police officer, and I didn't and he offered you know to give me a ride home and I'm just like 
in my head, I'm going, uh, heck no. <laughs> I but, remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't getting in no stranger's car. Right. I had no way I know to that trick. <laughs> really identify. Yeah. I've seen Dateline. I know. How <laughs> 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 to catch yeah. a predator. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, mm, I don't know if I'm okay with this. And I just... I'm just like, no, thank you. Like, is I just asked for directions because I thought I saw like an outline of a building and I knew where exactly where it was, and he confirmed that for me. And he's, you know, and I was on my, I was good and on my way. Um, mm-hmm. He helped me like make sure like I knew where the sidewalk was and whatnot. So that was good. But I went to Matt with this and just like, hey, like, what would I do in this situation? You know, so right. Um, yeah. And like I said, you know, any, any, any police officer who's uh, an actual police officer is never going to have a problem with you confirming who they are. You know, I, I'm never going to take offense, especially if you, if you are, you know, hearing impaired or visually impaired, like it, to be able to satisfy for yourself that, that I am who I say I am is, is integral to, you know, us having a, a, a good interaction. So right. um, get that badge number, get that name call in and if you don't necessarily want to call 911 most police services have you know administrative phone lines but but there's nothing wrong with calling 911 because if let's just say that that wasn't a police officer and you know they had some sort of you know ulterior motives i would call that an emergency situation that requires 911 right so mm-hmm. so get name get badge number call in confirm and you know Especially if you call 911, you know you're going to be getting the dispatch. You know it's not like, oh, here's the number to call, and it's just a buddy of his, right? Like, <laughs> right. <if you> call- <laughs> yeah, that's Dave, all right. Um, <laughs> he does what Dave does. You know, that's you, right. You, 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 you should, say, should, def- people. should definitely go with Dave. Um, yeah, this is yeah, a call- all the girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> calling that, calling 911, and having that confirmation, I think, is that's that's the best way. You know, and that even that even happens a lot of time when I'm making phone calls to to witnesses or victims or whatever because our phone number comes up, you know, unidentified. Mm. Um, well, I'll call and say, "Hey, you know, it's Sergeant Floyd from Halton Police. Um, when you speak with you about this incident, and they're like, well, how do I know you're an officer?" I said, "Well, you can call into our front desk, or you can call into our comm center, and they can patch you through to my extension. And then normally that's that's a good way to satisfy, you know, anybody that 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 person who they say they are that they actually are great yeah well thank you so much for all your information today um i've I've learned quite a bit no problem guys i I really i really i really appreciate you guys uh having me on today thank you for all that you do for your community we appreciate that as well no problem so um i guess it's time for ending our show today uh thank you everyone for listening if you uh, would like to find out more information on our show you can visit us at hands on safety podcast on facebook at hands underscore safety on twitter and our website is handsonsafety.net and we look forward to bringing y'all another great show next time thank you everyone have a good one bye thanks thanks guys